following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good day, Austin. (laughs) Happy March 22nd. Here we are today in an empty building. And it is so much fun to be able to come into your homes wherever you are, whatever watch party you have or whatever you're doing at your house. I trust you got up and got dressed for church today. But if you're in your PJs, that's all right by me also because we can handle handle that here. We got a a letter last week from somebody said they had their pajamas on watching, but they had a good time in their pajamas. So whatever, whatever suits you, whatever floats your boat will go ahead. Listen, this is not the first time I've preached to an empty building. When I first started, <laughs> when I first started my ministry, I, uh, I used to go practice in the church I was going to preach at, and I would practice my sermon from the top to the bottom, even uh, walking around. I used to walk around a lot when I preached. And, and then when the night service came, I was like a statue behind the pulpit. I was scared to death because it was a lot easier preaching to an empty building than it was preaching to people. But now that I've got accustomed to doing what I'm doing and we're in the middle of this coronavirus, this COVID-19 thing, we are having to isolate ourselves and uh, hide away and, and stay away from everybody else. And it's, it's very difficult. It really, really is. But on this Sunday morning, we're going we're gonna to take chicken feathers and make chicken salad and take a lemon and make lemonade. And we're going to make this work because, you know, God's Word, no matter where we preach it, on a hill, in a prison, in an empty church, or to a full house, or at a conference somewhere, God's Word will not return again to us void. And so on this day, I welcome you, and I thank you for being tuned in today, and may God's favor and blessing be with us today and with you, and we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time. I always like to kind of start with something funny, and, and, and there's some things that I, I read about this week that, you know, some things that you and I may not understand. For some people, it's, it's modern art. Some people don't understand modern art. There was a young woman who went to her first art gallery, and she studied the paintings very carefully. And one of them was a huge canvas that was black, and it had orange paint on it, just blobs of orange paint. And the other was gray. And it had streaks of purple streaked across it. And so she saw the artist standing over here and she said to him, I don't understand your paintings. And he said, I paint what I feel inside of me. She went back and looked at the paintings one more time. She came back to the artist and she said, have you ever tried Alka-Seltzer? <laughs> I love that. There's no laughter in the church because nobody's here. And then modern art is one thing, but you know, to me, opera is another thing, or can I say rock music? I read this the other day, that termites eat through wood two times faster when rock music is being played. I don't know how scientists came up with that, but I kind of understand it because when I hear it, I, I start doing this. But if you want your house to really come down, Get a bunch of termites to come over and see you and then put on rock music. They'll put it down twice as fast. 
And then I saw the last thing I want to tell you this morning. I saw a list of top 10 things that men understand about women. And beside each number, the line was blank. Can I get an amen from one of the ladies in the house? Now, if it's first service at your place or second service or third service, we're so happy to have you. If it's first service, you're probably having to put down a Pop-Tart right now or you're making some bacon and some eggs and you're at home. But I want to tell you as a pastor before I get started here today, we miss you. We miss our people at Christian Life. God has blessed this church abundantly and we are so happy to pastor a church that has so many committed people. And I know that you're watching today because you care about your church. And I love you very, very much and we're doing all we can to keep this thing rolling, keep momentum going, and God is helping us. In fact, last week we had nine commitments that were sent in to us from just people watching online. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? I just think it's awesome and there's no telling what's gonna come out of this. You know, you can make, you can make uh, great things out of bad situations. In fact, today, I'm going to speak on the subject, a name better than circumstances. A name better than circumstances. I want to tell a little story here to begin. In Africa, in the Congolese city of Goma, many years ago, Goma was asleep one night. The city had bedded down for the night, and a half million people drifted to sleep thinking it was an ordinary night. But one thing it wasn't was ordinary. Goma is east of the Congo Republic and west of war-torn Rwanda. And to the south is placid Lake Kivu. And Goma's problem did not come from those three directions, the east, the west, or the south. Her nemesis came from the north. Twelve miles north towered Mount Naira Gongo. This mountain is part of the volcanic chain comprised of six extinct and two active volcanoes. Goma's 12,000 feet tall neighbor was not of the extinct variety. The warning signs had been there. The animals were acting strange. The water temperature in the lake had risen and the quality of the water was very poor. Yet it had been 25 years since the last eruption from this mountain, so Goma slept. And in the middle of the night, the volcano shook itself and awakened, and the mountain exploded with a rain of lava and ash. And three molten flows flowed down its steep sides toward the town below. A stream of fire 165 feet wide roared toward Goma, destroying everything within its path. It overran the town, and everything it touched died. About half the city was destroyed. And the people who could run did run. Some fled to the shores of the lake to catch a barge, and others raced on foot to Rwanda, forming a teeming tide of human misery. Still others went into the Congo. And one of the refugees was an expectant young mother named Samir Izamu. Samir, in the course of fleeing from the volcano, she went into labor and delivered a baby boy along the roadside. And the first five days of the infant's life were spent wrapped in a blanket on the shores of Lake Kivu, awaiting a barge to take them to safety. 
And Samir said to the reporter, his health is poor. He does not breathe properly and the smell of lava seems to have affected him. Nevertheless, Samir rocked her baby and sang a lullaby about the beautiful Congo which now lay in ruins. Samir named her baby Volcano. Forever he will be associated with the circumstances of his birth. She asked the reporter, what other name could I have given him than naming him after what we have gone through? I can think of one. I speak of someone that I want to talk about today and preach to you about today. Someone that is kind of hidden and tucked away in scripture. But Judges chapter 11, we're going to find his story. The Bible says Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. That's the book. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. They said, you're not going to get any inheritance in our family because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels, you got to get that, gathered around him and followed him. Scoundrels were his company. And sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, and be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. I love that passage of Scripture, and I want you to read it more fervently when we get through with this service today. Like the boy Volcano, Jephthah was born in bad circumstances, but he was given a name better than his circumstance. So my question is today, what is in a name? To most families, the naming of a child is a special occasion. We have three beautiful daughters, and it's all because of a mother. It's not anything to do with me. Misty, our first daughter, <laughs> was named after a cigarette billboard. Yeah, cigarette. It used to be a cigarette called Misty, and we, named, we thought that was a powerful, beautiful name, Misty, so we named her Misty. And Cassidy, her mother, was walking through a department store one day and saw some hosiery named Cassidy. And so Cassidy was named after hose that women wear on their legs. And then Caitlin was named after royalty. Catherine, Caitlin, Kate. We progressed <laughs> from cigarettes to kings and queens. <laughs> but people search for the right name and books are bought listing suggested names and family lineages are searched. Biblical names are often reviewed. In scripture, names had meaning from the first man named Adam, which means red dirt for which he was made to Eve, the mother of all living. Biblical names connoted something about the nature and the person that they turned out to be or circumstance which he was born. Isaac's name reflected his mother's laughter at his birth. Esau's name described his appearance. Jacob was named Jacob because it means supplanter or beguiler or cheater. He grabbed the heel of his brother in birth. 
He claimed the birthright later on. Moses came by his name because he was drawn from water. And Ichabod's name is still relevant in the world today because his name means the glory is departed. He was a son of a high priest and he and his brother did not care for the glory of God. And so the glory was taken, the ark was taken and Phineas' wife named her son Ichabod because the glory was gone. And many times in scripture, you can find that parents placed a shortened form of God's name on their child like Elisha or Elijah or Daniel or Isaiah, Jephthah. Behind each name is a story. And there's also a beautiful story in the Bible about a mother who was dying in childbirth and named her son Benoni, which means son of sorrow. And the dad stepped up, Jacob, and said, no, he will not be called the son of sorrow. He will be called Benjamin, the son of my right hand. And I love the fact when a father interrupts and says, no, we're going to name him something powerful because a name meant everything in the word of God. And his bio, Jephthah's bio is similar to Naaman. The Bible says Naaman was a captain and he was a great man and a mighty man and a warrior, but he was a leper. Leprosy was such a great taboo in Bible days that it turned princes into pariahs and kings into curs and emperors into exiles. Now Jephthah, the Bible said, the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. He was the son of a prostitute. That was another taboo in Bible days. From the world's oldest profession came the world's ancient curse. The child of a harlot was despised in those days. And some say that Jephthah's mother was not truly a harlot. She was merely a concubine of his father, Gilead. And as a concubine, she would have been a wife in one sense. Yet her children would be denied an inheritance. Others say his mother was an Ishmaelite. Still others say she was a Gentile. The Bible says, and I'm driving it home, she was a harlot. Jephthah was the son of of a prostitute. And that's the circumstances of his birth. And I don't care who you are or what house you're sitting in today, we cannot change our birth parents. We cannot choose again how to come into this world. Yet he was not named son of a harlot, even though he was born son of a harlot. Maybe he had to live with the circumstances of his birth, but he didn't have to be named according to his birth. Someone gave Jephthah a valuable gift when he was given a name that was better than his circumstance. Regardless of the conditions of his birth, each and every time his name was called, it became a divine memorandum to him. For Jephthah means God will set me free. Hallelujah. I'm going to say that again. God will set me free. I may have been born to an ill-famed woman. My brothers may have run me out of town. I may not be an inheritor of my father's inheritance, but somebody gave me a name that says God will set me free. And it doesn't matter what my birth record is. What matters is what I become in life when I start walking through life.
Let me, let me preach some points here to you today. All too often we let circumstances rule us. Turn to somebody on the couch and say, that's right. We let circumstances rule us. No one expected much from this son of a harlot since he was illegitimate. Can I declare something to this people today? There may be illegitimate relationships, but there are no illegitimate children with God. Hallelujah. He couldn't go into God's house, neither could his kids nor his grandkids, nor any of his descendants up to 10 generations, Deuteronomy 23 says. And I can almost hear someone say, I don't see much good coming out of that boy. You know, sight is not objective. We usually see what we expect to see. And if, and if we are, have been conditioned to see good, we see good. And our circumstances often condition us to see either good or evil. And the town folk of Gilead probably said he is just a child of an ill-famed woman. And if a prophet is without honor in his own country, how about the son of a harlot? But Jephthah thought, they think I'm terrible, so I might as well be terrible. And all of a sudden, scoundrels started hanging around him. We've all seen it happen. Paint a child with criticism, he grows up critical. Paint him with stiff bristles of rejection, and he seeks rejection rather than love. Call a child something long enough, and he or she will either live up or down to reach that name. Why? Because we let circumstances rule us. We forget who we are and we forget whose we are. And now I want you to sit up on the edge of your couch because I'm fixing to preach to you a message today. The second point I want to drive home, but God can deliver us from unfavorable circumstances. Say amen in your house. Let me tell you something. God delights in taking little and making a whole lot out of it. He really does. Someone whispered words of faith over a despised son of a harlot and said, God will set you free. And guess what? God did. Contrast Jephthah's name with those given to the daughter and the son of another harlot named Gomer in the book of Hosea. Her daughter was named Loruhama. And her son was named Loami. Lo is a prefix meaning without. And these two kids bore the name without a people in my life and without compassion for me in my life. Without a people, without compassion. Sometimes we let circumstances rule us, but through faith in God, we can triumph over any circumstance <clears throat> in life. See, Jesus was born of Mary. And she had people whisper about her that she perhaps was guilty of the same sin as Jephthah's mom. Yet Mary knew who she was <laughs> and she named her child Jesus for he would save his people from their sin. See, great faith, folks, always gives children names better than their circumstances. And I want to declare something to you in your house right here today on this March 22nd. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are right now. And I know the circumstances are not good in America. They're not good in Texas. And they're not good in Austin. And they may not be good in your house. But great faith always gives children names better than their circumstances. Clap your hands in your home right now. Jephthah grew up. 
And people noticed something about him. He was strong. He was courageous. And his family noticed it too. And together, a fearful communion and a vindictive family drove him away. Yet trouble came and they called for Jephthah. Jephthah knew it would happen. His name said it would happen. His name declared it. His vindication and help would come from God. Jephthah was delivered with a good name. God knows your circumstances. And the third thing I want to deliver you today is simply this. God delivers people to a good place. When God gets a hold of your life, he does not deliver you to a worse place than your circumstances have put you in. He always delivers you to a good place, a better place than where you are. The Bible says that Jephthah dwelt in the land of Tob, which means good land. Say it with me, good land. Say good land. Later we find him being anointed as the ninth judge of Israel. We see him perhaps unschooled in the ways of God, trying to worship a God that he hardly knew. And we see him making rash vows before God. Imperfect though he was, God had set him in a good place. This is perhaps, folks, one of the most profound secrets in living the abundant life in Jesus Christ. For we are not truly delivered from something until we are delivered to something. We're not truly delivered from until we're delivered to. Paul said in Colossians, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and there's an and there, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He took us out of darkness, but He didn't stop there. He's brought us to the kingdom of His Son of His love. Freedom, ladies and gentlemen, is not leaving darkness. Freedom is stepping into the light. Freedom is not when we leave something behind, but when we find something better. And freedom is not when we say, I will stop this. But freedom is when we say, I will start this. Because freedom is the law of forward motion. It's forward motion. As long as Israel in the wilderness followed the fiery torch by night and the cloud by day, she was cleansed every step of the way to the promised land. This is the righteousness of faith. It is the holiness of moving toward God. Her deliverance from Egypt was twofold. When Israel walked out of bondage, that was one part. And when she stepped into the fulfillment of a promise, that was the second part. The Bible said he brought them out to bring them in. Let me talk to you in your home right now. If you have come out of something in your life, if you're at a watch party and I'm preaching to you right now, if you've been delivered from something, don't stop there. Get delivered to something. Get a hold of something in your life because God only delivers you from something to deliver you to something better. He does not deliver people just to prove that he can. He wants you to have something better in your life. He wants to give you a name better than your circumstance. He wants to bring you out of your situation and give you something more powerful and more glorious and more awesome than you could ever imagine in your life. God has no wasted motion. He works everything according to his plan. He lifts us from the miry clay 
so he can place our foot on a rock, as the song said, to stay. Don't ever forget that. Say it, Jephthah. Say it. God will set me free. He'll set me free. God will set Jephthah free to let him set others free. Listen, what God does in your life, he wants to replicate in other people's lives. I think every one of us need to name our family Jephthah today because God will set us all free. He's going to set us free. Let me repeat it. He's going to set us free. I know what I'm preaching against. And sometimes the walls feel like they're coming into your house and you're caving in to this fear and to this pandemic situation that we're going through. But you hear me. God will set us free. Freedom is coming. Associates, friends, enemies, you tell everybody you see, God will set us free. We are a people that still believe that God can do anything. He can take you from the gutter to the throne. He can take you from the bottom to the top because God doesn't stop just bringing you out. He brings you in to something powerful, glorious, and mighty in your own life. Say amen to that. And the fourth thing I want to talk about is simply this. God uses us to set other people free. Who named Jephthah? We're not sure. The Bible is not clear about it. It doesn't matter. But someone gave him a great name. A name that freed him from his circumstance. God uses us to set other people free. On this 22nd day of March, let me tell you what I'm trying to do. <clears throat> I am a hope seed planner. I'm a hope seed planner. Say it, Pastor. You're a hope seed planner. And then say, This church is a hope seed planner. We sow hope seed over dismal swamps and barren desert lands because God can make a, uh, uh, the desert into a beautiful garden. And He makes water flow in that desert. And He can grow grass on the mountaintop. I am a preacher of hope today. I deal in tomorrows. I say things like brighter days are on their way. I say things like the best is yet to come. And I say things like God has the final say. But pastor, you don't know where I am. I don't care. It does not matter. I'm talking about a man that came from the very depths of despair. But God said, I will set you free. And he did. And if he can take an Old Testament man to make a message on this 22nd day of March, I'm preaching to you in your house right now. Whatever you're up against, you start declaring God will set our family free. He's going to release us. He's going to bless us because he has the final say. He really does. Everybody say the best is yet to come. Say it. Annie. <clears throat> was nearly blind. At three, her vision started failing and she was sent to Tewksbury, the Massachusetts State Poorhouse. And her poor vision became a rich blessing in disguise. Once it was discovered, she was transferred to Perkins Institute for the Blind. There she learned the techniques to cope with blindness and deafness. And who can forget the fateful day on March 3rd, 1887, when Annie stepped from a train onto the station of a rural Alabama town, 
And there she met a young mother named Kate, whose daughter had become blind and deaf at the age of 19 months. And how could Annie know that her life would forever be entwined with that of a seven-year-old student named Helen, Helen Keller? Annie was the teacher, and Helen was the student. And it was the blind leading the blind. So inseparable were they that today their graves lay side by side, the teacher and the student. But years after Annie had taught Helen to live above her circumstances, Helen spoke at a dedication of a large fountain at Radcliffe College where she received a wonderful degree. And the fountain was dedicated to her teacher, Annie Sullivan. And by this time, Helen was a prolific author and a world traveler. And she gave speeches around the world before kings and parliaments and, and congresses. And yet, that day, the flowing water, the flowing water, the fountain overwhelmed her and it took her back in her mind to a teacher who reached her with one single word, that single word. She signed it over and over and over into her hand and over and over and over into her heart. Before the august crowd gathered on campus that day, Helen opened her mouth and spoke the words that lifted her above her circumstance. The word first taught to her by Annie was water. Water. One word. Just one word. One word turned a blind and a deaf young lady into an educated genius that became an author and a speaker and a wonder. And that one word liberated her from her circumstance. Annie Sullivan wrote this one day. She said, love is something like the clouds that are in the sky. You can't touch the clouds, you know, but you feel the rain and know how glad the flowers and the thirsty earth are to have it after a hot day. You cannot touch love either, but you feel the sweetness that it pours into everything. Did you hear that? Love pours. Love pours. Love continues to pour. Love never stops pouring. There was a woman in the Bible that said simply she was from Tekoa who agreed. She said human life is like a bottle of water and I've got one here. And the water is poured out on the ground. It's perhaps one of the oldest offerings known to man. It's called the drink offering. It's water being poured out on the ground. Jacob poured out a cruise of oil at Bethel. And each morning and each evening in the Jewish temple, drink offerings were poured out before God because love pours. Love continues to pour. Love never stops pouring. So what I'm asking this congregation of people to do, even though this is our second Sunday to be away from this beautiful place that we call church, Christian Life Austin, I'm asking you to pour out a drink offering. Pour on people a word. Pour on people a name. A name that is better 
than their circumstance. Lift them to a higher level. Promote others ahead of yourself. Happiness does ride side saddle with sacrifice. Some of us need to sacrifice ourselves because we have the Christ, the Son of God living in our hearts and our lives and we don't need to be like people that do not know the Savior that we preach about. We need to keep pouring love. Love pours. Speak the name of the Lord not only on others, but speak the name of the Lord over your impossible situations. Talk to yourself. Say, I will, I will overcome this situation. I may have lost my job. I may be hurting today, but I will come out of this because I know a name greater than my circumstance. I know a God that is greater than my circumstance. Do you know that Jephthah, according to Hebrews 11:32, made the hall of fame? He made the hero's hall of fame. God delivered him from this world's taboo into this heavenly tabloid because there's a name better than your circumstances. And I preach that name here. And that name is a name that will never stop loving you. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I close today with this. I want you to listen to this close because it's important to me that you catch this, what I'm about to say. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there was a war that ensued between three armies, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the children of Mount Seir, or as the Hebrew would describe them, the hairy and shaggy ones. There were two that were familiar, and this one was unfamiliar. It was an unfamiliar spirit that was coming, an unfamiliar army that was coming against the children of Israel. Three enemies came against God's people, and the king of Judah was named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat prayed because he realized that what was coming upon him was a tough thing. It was a circumstance that was going to be very, very difficult to handle. And so he prayed. He prayed three petitions. He said, are you not the God of heaven? Are you still the God of heaven? And he said, did you not help us when we came into this land? Are you not the God of heaven? And did you not bless us when we came into this land? And thirdly, he said, and did you tell us that you'd bless the seed of Abraham forever? Did you not tell us that? Then he said, here's what we're going to do, kids. We're not going to fight with swords and with spears, with bows and with arrows. I'm going to appoint some singers. I'm going to appoint some praisers. <laughs> Woo. I'm feeling good in an empty church. I'm going to appoint some singers, some praisers. And I'm going to put you as the vanguard of what we're going to do. And I want you to go forth singing. Bless the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Bless the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they went out singing, the Bible said that God created ambushments on those three armies. And God brought the victory when the Israelites blessed the name of the Lord. Because they understood that there are some situations, there are some 
things that happen in our life that we can't win over. We can't do it by ourselves. We need, we need a name better than our circumstance. God said, O Mount Seir, I'm against you and I'll destroy you. May I say to this audience of people today that call this their church and all those that call themselves Christian, God is not neutral. <laughs> he is on the side of people that believe and trust in him. And then I discovered something about this thing that we're up against because I think what we're up against is Mount Seir. I think this is an unfamiliar time in our life when we're facing things that we're saying, Pastor, this has never happened, yeah? I've been in ministry a long time, guys, and I've never seen anything quite like what's happening in America and around the world today. This coronavirus, this COVID-19 problem. But I did some research, and in Spanish, the word corona, my Spanish is bad, but the word corona means crown. It means crown. And we all know that a king wears a crown. And so we could actually call this thing, not coronavirus, but king virus. It's the king, the king virus. And it's a, it's a situation that we have a whole lot of problems with and looks like we're gonna be isolated and quarantined a little longer. But I wanna I want say something to King Virus here today. I wanna to say something to you, King Virus. You're about to lose your crown. Because there is a king of kings and the Lord of lords that the Bible said every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess to. And it doesn't matter if you're a man, it doesn't matter if you're a nation, it doesn't matter if you are a virus. You will bow and you'll lose your crown because only one that I'm preaching about wears the crown. And that's King Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. He is the one that wears the crown and it belongs to him. And he will not let other kings rise up and last. He will conquer and he will defeat this thing called coronavirus. He will defeat it. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the Bible said on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. This is where the battle was between these three armies and the children of Judah. And they praised the Lord. And this is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. The Bible said they renamed that valley, not a valley of battle, but a valley of blessings and praise. We need to rename some things in our life today right in your house. Why don't you get up off your couch right now? And why don't you lift your hands into the air right now and start praising the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Because I promise you, when this is all said and done, coronavirus is gonna lose its crown and Jesus is gonna come wearing his. And we will praise the King and the name that is greater than our 
circumstance. God is for us. He's for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's stand firm. Let's stand erect. And let's stand noble and say we have a God. We have a Christ who has a name that's greater than any circumstance I'm going through in my life. And I shout his name in my soul today. And I shout his name across this pulpit today. And I'm gonna keep pouring out love. I'm gonna keep pouring out his blessings. We're gonna keep loving him. We're gonna keep caring for people because God is not finished with what we're doing here at Christian Life Austin. We're just getting started. Can I say something to you in closing? We're taking out the balcony while you're missing church. When you come back, our church is gonna be reshaped. It's gonna be reconfigured. We're getting ready for an expansion like you've never seen in your life. And we're believing that God is with us and God is for us. Come on, shout the name of the Lord. It's a name greater than any circumstance around you. I love you. Have a super week. We'll see you Wednesday night for the last lesson in Solomon's Secrets. God bless. You're the greatest people on the planet, and we love you. Sing, guys. Sing.